You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. Cloudflare says that reported Ukrainian breaches aren't its issue. Trend Micro describes a new and unusually capable strain of malware. Garmin is reported to have obtained a decryptor for wasted locker ransomware. Third-party risk continues in the news, as do misconfigured databases that expose personal information. Huawei's CFO alleges misconduct by Canadian police and intelligence agencies. Ben Yellen examines the EFF's online atlas of surveillance. Dave DeWalt with Safeguard Cyber on the evolving threat landscape as folks return to the workplace. And the Twitter incident seems to have been a problem waiting to appear. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Tuesday, July 28, 2020. Silicon Angle reports that service provider Cloudflare says the breach Ukrainian authorities disclosed over the weekend had nothing to do with Cloudflare and that the company itself was not breached. Ukrainian authorities had made a point of saying that many of the affected companies were Cloudflare clients. But of course, Cloudflare has a lot of clients. The National Security and Defense Council of Ukraine qualified their initial account, noting in particular that some of the stolen data they found came from older breaches, or as they put it, quote, information on some resources is outdated, end quote. But they continue to maintain that they've seen evidence of some sort of large-scale incident. Cloudflare had this to say to HackRead, quote, we have investigated in detail an alleged leak of DNS information concerning Cloudflare's customers. The information posted on social media is not the result of a leak or breach of our systems. The published data is available through standard DNS queries on the open Internet rather than the result of a leak or breach. Cloudflare provides different services to different customers. Some customers use us for security services. Some use us for performance services. Some customers make use of both. The published information reflects a small fraction of Cloudflare customers who either use Cloudflare only for DNS resolution or only for performing services and therefore have not configured Cloudflare to secure their origin server, end quote. Security firm Trend Micro has described a PHP web shell its researchers call Enseco, which they say has both remote code execution and ransomware capabilities, the ransomware functionality is only one of Inseco's many features. Trend Micro says it's capable of scanning servers for the presence of other web shells, defacing websites, sending mass emails, downloading remote files, disclosing information about the affected server, brute force attacks against file transfer protocol, cPanel and Telnet, overwriting files with specified extensions, and more, which is already a lot. It's also thought likely to be resistant to the sort of vigilantism that's recently hobbled Emotet. 
Garmin confirmed that it sustained a cyber attack last Thursday, ABC News reports, and that while its online services were disrupted and some files were encrypted, it's restoring services and has concluded that no customer data were compromised. Despite noting that files were encrypted, Garmin did not characterize the incident as a ransomware attack. Wired writes, as others have been writing, that it was an attack by Evil Corp using wasted locker ransomware. Sky News reported that Garmin had obtained a decryption key that enabled it to recover its files, but that the company did not directly make a payment to the hackers. This doesn't rule out that payment might have been made through a third party, and as Decrypt notes, that wouldn't necessarily protect Garmin from exposure to U.S. sanctions enforcement. Evil Corp. has been under sanctions since December. Another ransomware attack has moved from a third-party vendor to its intended target. The Wall Street Journal reports that customer data was taken from SEI Investments, when M.J. Brunner, developer of an investment dashboard used by SEI, was compromised and the information was lost. SEI says its own systems weren't hacked. This is another case of third-party risk, or perhaps nth-party risk. SEI Investments manages funds. Some of its own clients were Angelo Gordon & Company, Graham Capital Management, Fortress Investment Group, LLC, Centerbridge Partners, and Pacific Investment Management Company. They were all exposed to the breach at M.J. Brunner through their business relationship with SEI Investments. So the breach at Brunner affected data belonging to SEI, which in turn affected SEI's clients. Computing quotes Zero Hedge as ascribing the incident to a Ragnar Locker ransomware attack. Brunner declined to pay the ransom, and the Ragnar Locker responded by dumping some 500 gigabytes of stolen information online. The data included usernames and passwords, as well as SQL files with live client data. We've spent a good deal of time covering the shift to working from home triggered by the pandemic and the related security issues. It's going to be a while before things get back to normal, but some states are reopening in fits and starts, and that means some employees are heading back to the office. Dave DeWalt serves on the board of Safeguard Cyber and is the former CEO of FireEye. He joins us with insights on the evolving threat landscape expected with returning to the workplace. As you see innovation continue to, you know, pick up speed and accelerate, you know, so does the vulnerabilities due to that technology adoption. And the more vulnerabilities you have, the more, you know, opportunities for attackers And when you have the underlying premises of, you know, lack of governance of the Internet, um, anonymity of the Internet that it provides, um, now 50-plus nation states all with offensive activity, hundreds of criminal groups, terrorist groups, you have this, you know, perfect storm, this melting pot of, of things that are going on. So, you know, now add to it social domains. I mean, one of the hottest areas right now is information warfare and influence ops in the social domains. Now with 3 billion plus users in these social domains and the virality of content and deep fakes and false information on there, I mean, we really have a whole new domain with billions of users without much security or privacy really baked into the core architecture. And whenever we've seen a new attack surface created like that, a lot of bad things start to happen. So 
you know, add to that, you know, drones flying in the air, satellites in space, industrial networks, cryptocurrency systems. You know, it's a wonderful thing from a from a capital innovation point of view. But when you're looking at it from a security point of view, it's a little daunting to how we protect all these new domains as they grow very quickly. What sort of advice do you have for folks who are trying to make their way through this, trying to navigate uh, this new reality that we're in? Well, you know, a lot of things. You know, one is, um, you know, I, I have a lot of empathy for security professionals around the world and, uh, and a lot of pride. I really, truly believe that the security professional will become more and more important. What an opportunity. Uh, if you're a chief trust officer, chief security officer at major corporations around the world, what an opportunity, honestly. I've watched over the last, uh, you know, years, the rise of importance of this professional area inside companies. And I believe one of the silver linings coming out of this COVID window will be the increased inertia of digital transformations. A lot of brick and mortar kind of companies, retailer companies are realizing that, wow, what a power model we now have on online and e-commerce models, way more than we even thought. And so, you know, how do we, you know, integrate all of that digital transformation and, and harden security into that? So security professionals will now have an opportunity, perhaps, you know, one of which we had never seen before, to really be a core part of the business, not just protecting, you know, the IT networks that they once had. So interesting window in, um, you know, as, as they always say, may we live in interesting times. This is clearly interesting times. That's Dave DeWalt from Safeguard Cyber. A more familiar, more easily understood risk has also surfaced again. Misconfigured databases held in the cloud and left exposed to unauthorized users. FrontRush, a provider of athletic recruiting and amateur athletic management software, disclosed that one of its AWS S3 buckets was left exposed to the Internet. It contained personally identifiable information. The data included transcripts, injury reports, or athletic reports that were placed in the platform by institutions. Also in the bucket were attachments uploaded by student-athletes or prospective athletes or their parents and guardians in response to prompts in a recruitment questionnaire formulated and disseminated by the institutions. And finally, what is it with celebrity-centric voyeurism? Twitter's recent black eye over the compromise and takeover of a large number of high-profile accounts seems to have been long in preparation. We've heard that about 1,500 employees and contractors had the sort of control panel access required to reassign accounts. Bloomberg has been talking to former Twitter employees and reports that it's been that way for some time. Bloomberg writes, quote, The controls were so porous that at one point in 2017 and 2018, some contractors made a kind of game out of creating bogus help desk inquiries. Those inquiries allowed them to peek into celebrity accounts, including Beyonce's, to track the star's personal data, including their approximate locations gleaned from their device's IP addresses, two of the former employees said. Twitter has a complex business and a lot of privacy balls in the air, but Bloomberg's look at the ongoing investigation into the recent socially engineered security incident concludes that the company does seem to have placed its priorities on growth and revenue and not devoted as much time and attention to security, and in particular, security against potential insider threats. 
Managing the requirements for modern security programs is increasingly challenging and time-consuming. Enter Vanta. Vanta gives you one place to centralize and scale your security program, quickly assess risk, streamline security reviews, and automate compliance for ISO 27001, SOC 2, and more. You can leverage Vanta's market-leading trust management platform to unify risk management and secure the trust of your customers. Plus, use Vanta AI to save time when completing security questionnaires. CyberWire daily listeners can get $1,000 off by going to vanta.com slash cyber. That's V-A-N-T-A dot com slash cyber. In the dynamic world of enterprise security, identity architects and IT leaders face a major challenge. Growth by repeated acquisitions multiplies the complexity of everything. Multiple IDPs, MFA providers, policy engines that all need to coexist. This can lead to fragmented user identities and policies that create security vulnerabilities and add access friction. Strata Identity solves this. Now you can decommission unneeded IDPs and consolidate the ones you'd like to keep without rewriting apps or disrupting users, engineers, and app owners. Plus, Strata's modular architecture makes it easy to integrate with any identity provider without manual maintenance and coding. Join the ranks of cybersecurity leaders using identity orchestration, Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your top identity security priorities, and receive a pair of complimentary AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations with over 5,000 employees. Step into a new era of identity management at strata.io slash cyberwire. And joining me once again is Ben Yellen. He is from the University of Maryland Center for Health and Homeland Security. And, you know, Ben, uh, it happens to me quite often. I'll be walking down the street and people will stop me and they'll say, Dave, I love hearing that uh, Ben Yellen on the CyberWire podcast. I wish I could hear more of him. And I respond to them and I say, well, you're in luck because he is also my co-host on the Caveat podcast where you get to hear Ben talk for much longer periods of time in much more depth about legal and policy issues. So We give the people what they want. That's, that's what <laughs> we're here for. Not, if, you're not, if you have not yet checked out the Caveat podcast, what are you waiting for? Give it a try. Uh, it's, it's a good, fun show. So uh, we'll move past that pitch and uh, move to our topic for today. Uh, this, I came across my desk and I thought this was right up your alley, Ben. This is from the... Uh, the folks at the EFF, the Electronic Frontier Foundation, and it is a website called atlasofsurveillance.org. What's going on here? So friend of the show, Electronic Frontier Foundation. By friend of the show, I mean we're, we're fans of theirs and we wish they were our <laughs> friends. <Right>. Um, <laughs> but they do, they do fantastic work, um, obviously concerned about civil liberties issues uh, in the age of technology. And they put together this really cool Atlas of Surveillance. They map the entire United States, and for each, uh, both state and locality, they list, uh, and it's very well sourced, which surveillance methods are used. So, for example, you know, I can zoom in and see that in Baltimore City, uh, where I work, and uh, in the area in which we live, there are, uh, we use cell site simulators. 
in the state of Maryland, there's broad use of automatic license plate readers, facial mm-hmm. recognition technology used by the Maryland uh, Vehicle Administration. And that's all very well marked uh, in this map here. So they track things like those things I just mentioned. Also, uh, police departments that have body-worn cameras, the use of drones. Um, we know that that's uh, something we've discussed that's, that's going on in Baltimore City as they have unmanned aircrafts. Um, taking surveillance photos. That's all accounted for here. What What are some of the practical uses of this? I mean, is it is it as simple as it could be just for awareness, sort of an eye-opening kind of thing? Or is this a, a good research tool for some folks as well? So it's mostly an awareness thing. I mean, certainly for citizens living in these jurisdictions, it, it's good for us to know which methods are being used. Um, you know, it's good for democracy because we can make policy decisions with more complete information. So if I had problems with the fact that Baltimore City, you know, is using cell site simulators, maybe I find out by going to this database and actually, you know, I can contact my state legislature uh, or, you know, the city council and say, um, I don't like the, the way this technology is being deployed. One thing that I, I'm sort of fearful of is it also could be potentially useful for uh, law enforcement, and I'll explain why. Hmm. Um, obviously, for the Fourth Amendment, everything is about whether you have a reasonable expectation of privacy. And if a feature like this became so ubiquitous that it was very widely known which jurisdictions uh, were using automated license plate readers, then, uh, you know, theoretically at least, uh, citizens would have a diminished uh, expectation of privacy, and thus it would be more unlikely for a court to find that a Fourth Amendment violation has occurred. I think we're an extremely long way from there, just because, A, that that standard is pretty malleable, and B, you know, besides me and you and other surveillance nerds out there, I think uh, (laughs) most people haven't uh, come across this atlas uh, of surveillance. But that's something I I would certainly think about uh, in the long run. Yeah, one thing that struck me with this was, you know, there are some things that would grab my attention in one way. In other words, if I saw that my local town was using predictive policing, well, that is something that would uh, grab my attention and I would want to go find out more about why that was happening. That would be a concern of mine. But I could see the flip side if I also looked at my locality and saw that, for example, my police department was not using body-worn cameras. Well, I think, you know, that might be something that I'd want to ask why not. You know, but maybe that's something that I, I feel is a good way to uh, to keep uh, you know track of, of perhaps what law enforcement is up to. That, that that's a that's a good type of surveillance to keep everybody uh, you know a little more uh, uh, on the straight and narrow. Absolutely, you know, I think that's a, a very effective tool. And and as I said, you know, that could be used as a way for you to try and uh, change policies. I you know I should also note one thing that's very cool about this is it's crowdsourced. Um, so you can volunteer to help build uh, this data set, but you can also submit a data point. So, you know, let's say you live in a really small jurisdiction, a small town that's not already listed in this atlas. You can write in and say, well, I know that our local police department uh, uses, you know, predictive policing. This is how they do it. Here's a news article on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they'll actually post it on on this atlas. So um, just a way, a way for people who care about this stuff to get involved. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, the website is atlasofsurveillance.org. Uh, if nothing else, it is uh, fun to play with. So, <laughs> so check it out. Absolutely. Geek out on these maps. I certainly have go. myself. 
Right. All right. Well, Ben Yellen, thanks for joining us. Thank you. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for Cyberwire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The Cyberwire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing Cyberwire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Tomorrow.